Hello and welcome to the Queer Thesperience. I am your host, Casper Oliver. I use they, them, and he, him pronouns. I am a ace, non-binary uh, creator, actor, anything I can get my grubby hands on, uh, I throw myself into. And today I am joined by, I say this all the time, uh, by someone that I'm very excited about, but specifically because we finally get to talk about something that I have wanted to just do a deep dive into since I started this. Finally, I can. But please introduce yourself, person bestowing me this gift. This feels like an honor. I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> I'm Katie Morgan. I am a bisexual cis uh, woman. I use uh, she, her pronouns. And um, I am a professional GM and tabletop streamer, uh, tabletop RPG streamer on Twitch. And uh, with that, we finally get to talk tabletop RPG, Dungeons and Dragons, all those sorts of games that we get to play, which I feel has been mentioned at least once every single episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> I interview queer actors, which almost all of us play. It's just a draw. You just get drawn to it. Yeah. So uh, how did you get into your, your current position of doing uh, tabletop streams on Twitch? I I am like a lot of people in the tabletop sphere in that I started watching Critical Role and listening to The Adventure Zone. Um, I was a My Brother, My Brother and Me fan before and then The Adventure Zone and I, I was like, D&D, I was raised Pentecostal. So all I had in my mind from D&D was Satanic Panic. Not that I believed yep. it, but that was just what I, that's all I knew about D&D. Right. And I got into it through that, fell in love and just happened to see someone's post on Twitter um, asking, hey, I'm a new DM. I want to start a, a Twitch show for new DMs and old DMs alike coming in and talking to each other about our experience and giving advice. And that led to Off the Table being formed. Um, and that's where I stay now. Like that is my home base. We stream games regularly through the week. Uh, tons of TTRPG systems from, we've done D&D in the past. Uh, we're doing, uh, we had masks uh, powered by the apocalypse system um, to uh, monster of the week, quest, all kinds of systems like that. And um, yeah, it was just by fate that I saw this tweet and got into the community. And I haven't looked back since. That was about four years ago. Yeah, I I feel most of the people that I know got into D&D through either Critical Role, Adventure Zone, or something of the like. Mm -hmm. um, I, I got into it because friends of mine got into it. One of them got into it because of Critical Role. So it's kind of like association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but... <clears throat> I, I mostly have played D&D. I've played Masks a little bit uh, and I'm about to play Vampire the Masquerade next year. And Ooh, I am, fun. I, I made a deep Southern um, Baptist man. He was a preacher who got turned into a vampire. And I now love he's, that concept. Uh, he's, he's trying to figure out, but he's also going to realize he's gay because I can't play anyone who's not <laughs> queer. Yeah, that's how I'm, I've never played a non-queer character. It, even when I was playing Burning Will, this medieval a fantasy type character. I was like, she's had a girl. She she ended up in a relationship with a man. I was like, she's had a girlfriend in the past because that's my experience. Yeah. <laughs> like she's definitely had queer experiences and she is. It's like, I can play lawful good. I can play chaotic neutral. I can play vampire, robot, cleric, whatever. The but only- But they will be gay. <laughs> exactly. They just can't be straight. <laughs> they will definitely be gay. 
I tried once and then she ended up being a demisexual lesbian. And I'm I, like, well, here we are. My long-term D&D now quest character, I started out, I, I've, I've been bi for, I, I've been out of the closet bi for years now, but I started her out thinking maybe she's straight because uh, she was flirting with, with men. And it was just because me and my best friend were playing and we flirt with each other all the time. That's right, our yeah. favorite activity. Oh, and yeah. she just had it brought in an NPC that I really liked the attitude of, just happened to be a man. But I went through like a, a weird come to Jesus with myself. Like she can't be straight. There's no way this can't be my straight character. <laughs> Not you. It can't be can't you. Be. You're my longest character. I love you too much. I can't put that on you. <laughs> uh i i also one time i also dm i there are some people who prefer playing some people who prefer dming i mm -hmm. am a equal opportunity employer uh i don't mind doing either um i once tried to make a a straight i was like this is going to be the cishet npc and then i think it was the rogue seduced them and i was like god <clears throat> God damn it. Well, oh, I, sorry. No, it's fine. I was like, well, I, I guess, I guess no more. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't even yeah. the bard. It was the rogue. <laughs> yeah. It's all, it's always a sneaky rogues getting you. <laughs> Stealing away my straight characters. Yep. <laughs> okay. We've, we've only been recording for like five minutes and my face already hurts. This is great. So <laughs> Uh, I, I want to ask, so you got into uh, D&D, tabletop, everything, all of this whole mm -hmm. tabletop RPGs because of things like Critical Role and the Adventure Zone, which impeccable taste. Uh, <laughs> yes. So what has been your experience in going from listening to it and consuming it that way to being a part of telling the story that others consume via streams? Yeah, I have learned that there, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, even though it is such an improv heavy type of thing, you know, and you don't know where the dice are going to roll, you don't know how things are going to turn out. But I've learned that there's a lot of pressure into like, the care that you put into the stories you tell. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you're not triggering anyone. You want to make sure right. that people are comfortable, especially people at your table. And even people watching the stream or listening to the podcast. Um, on Off the Table, we have we are very uh, big proponent users of um, safety tools. Yeah. And we have something called the open door policy that you can just walk away if you need to. You know, we're not, you're not beholden to be here listening to us or watching us. Yeah. And I think that when you have, those safety tools in place and when you're you're a performer on these streams you you need to take care into the stories you're telling you, you yeah. know you want to make sure that they uh that you get your point across and tell the story but in a in a in a comfortable way for everyone involved and, and i think that's a lot of work but it becomes second nature if you practice and train yourself to do it yeah just keeping a, a mind on what especially knowing because it's it's one thing if you're leading a group that's just you and like your two buddies right yeah. and like you know their comfort levels you know what they can handle and you're mm -hmm. good but then if you're doing it for either people you've never led for before people who have never played before or for an audience have to be more aware exactly and, and in the streaming scene 
I mean, we do, we do casting calls for our shows every season when we have, we do casting calls for our GMs to come in with their system they want to run. And then we have people um, from our community and from just Twitter alone sign up for shows. So the possibility that you're playing with someone that you've never talked to before is very high. And, and even if you have talked to them before, it's probably a parasocial relationship yeah. through Twitter or something like that. You know, your acquaintances, you can call yourself friends, but you don't know their comfort levels. Like say you would someone you played with for four years or something right so you definitely want to take that into effect and then I think it's a lot of work on (laughs) if you're being entertaining or not I mean I I say that we play we play these games and we stream them we play them for fun and we stream them so people can enjoy the story as well but always in the back of your mind at at least for me I do remember that I'm performing in front of an audience and I want them to be engaged I want them to be entertained I don't want them to click on the stream get bored or 10 minutes in and leave the stream because I mean I hate to say it but viewership is very important on Twitch at least yeah. numbers I mean you've got to keep your viewers up so you want to be an entertaining performer and I think that one thing that I've always thought about is it's very important when you perform on Twitch all the time in streams to have an off stream game that you don't have to perform in yep yep yeah yeah, I uh, and I feel like that's so common no matter what you do on stream. Because like when I started Twitch streaming computer games and like playing PC games <laughs> and streaming it, I was like, okay, every game that I had on my computer, I was like, can I stream this? And that was like my priority with putting them. But yeah. and, but everything that's on my PlayStation, no one else has got to know how many hours I've sunk into Tie the Tasmanian Tiger, a game that hasn't been relevant <laughs> since like twenty oh like two thousand two. Like you know, yeah, exactly. no. And I, I, so you don't got to be entertained with those, but it's the headspace you can put yourself in. Mm -hmm. You have to put yourself in that entertainer headspace. You have Uh to, you have to make sure that, you know, not only are, I think that like the group's fun is first and foremost, the group you're playing with, they should always be taken into account. But if you're streaming to an audience, you need to remember your audience is there. If you're making a podcast for listeners, you need to remember your listeners are there. Like you have to perform for them and it's it's very important to remember that aspect yeah you don't just want to sit there like a stump on a log with no emotion and and I'm not saying you have to do fun voices or anything like that just moving your hands around body language facial expressions does so much to entertain an audience I had there's a joke in my community that I have the best face journeys because I'll just be sitting on mute in a zoom call streaming and you'll just see my face go from what oh my god no what what's happening just my face completely (laughs) contorting and you can like clearly see when I'm yelling out cuss words to the the NPCs so it's it's very fun oh and that's so good I uh as I touched on very briefly before we started that what I do uh as my day job is I do murder mystery parties which Mm -hmm. one of the main things about doing these is basically in-person clue. And a lot of people who do this kind of stuff play D&D because basically you become a character, part of a narrative. You have to stay in character. You cannot break character for like two or three hours and you're helping other people solve the mystery, except you never know what the attendees are gonna say. So you have the plot, but you never know if the person who's playing these suspects are actually going to read the lines you gave them or if they're going to have this whole in-character tangent or if they're going to get drunk and fall asleep on the floor while wearing the hat you gave them. It's like, you never know. And so you always have to remain 
like, I got to tell the story. I got to make sure the tech is still working, but I got to make sure that as I'm doing this, I'm doing this, you know, in a way that a 1920s gangster would do because someone is watching me play with the microphone right now. So I got, you know, and so it, it's kind of that same mentality of someone is watching me right now. I got to make sure that this is still worth their time to look at if they're exactly. looking over here. Yeah, I mean, someone has dedicated this chunk of their life, of their time that, I mean, now we all have a lot of time on our hands, but yeah. I mean, still, that's a chunk of it. If you have ADHD brain like me, that's really hard to pay it to, to, you know, to pay attention for two hours straight. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I totally get that. You want them to have some sort of payout on their investment of time. And for us, it's their entertainment. You want them to have a good time. That's what they're getting back from, you know, investing that with us. Yeah. And even though we have so much free time right now, we also have a lot of stress. Oh, um, yes. So <laughs> es escapism and entertainment is a huge perk right now. Um, so kind of back to tabletop specifically, uh, I'm sure we have both heard and likely both said that D&D &D or tabletop RPGs are gay culture. Let's discuss. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I totally agree with that. I know that it's a, you know, quote unquote in joke and everything, but I completely agree that it is, it is a way for us to live in worlds where we're not constantly trivialized, trivialized, constantly put down. Um, it, it's such a good form of escapism for a couple hours out of your day to live in a world where you can truly be who you want to be, say what you want to say, do what you want to do and not be judged for it. Um, I, I know tabletop RPGs that have helped personal friends like come to terms with their sexuality, help them explore and help them branch out into uh, accepting that they're not cis, that they actually feel they're the non-binary or trans because they've had that opportunity to explore something that they were never given a chance to. And I think that that's such a great thing in tabletop RPGs that you can really have the freedom to, to live in this world that's not going to criminalize everything that you do. Yeah, where you being queer isn't the most pressing issue. Exactly. <laughs> we, we, one of the, we, uh, on all of our games, we use a safety tool called Lines and Bells. And one of our lines, which is something you don't cross, you don't cross this line, it's never brought up in the game. All of our lines have like homophobia, transphobia, uh, racism, misogyny, that just does not exist in our world. And it is the perfect escape for the world that we currently live in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I know that when um, and I've I've played as a player with multiple DMs and have um, DM'd for multiple different groups. Um, but I I've always been able to like. There are a lot of differences between queer DMs and not queer dms and that, yeah. that's there's nothing inherently wrong with either but yeah there's one a of my difference. my burning will two-year burning will campaign my gm uh i believe is a straight i mean i'm not going to assume any sexuality but i believe right. is a straight man and that was one of my favorite games the most meaningful games of my life he was very open to queer experience listen to us to think you know uh, and it was a man with three women, which that's a problem. That's a whole nother subject on its own is like yeah. a one man or an all man table with women. That's, it's a whole other thing that I'm not going to get into, but was very, uh, very open about our experiences and how we wanted to play this game. And our, it was, if our female characters had girlfriends, he was, it just, 
it wasn't a big deal. But you're completely right. There is a huge difference between a queer GM and a straight GM. And it's like you just feel this comfort at the table that your experience is going to be accepted and, and, and focused on. I'm a very big proponent of romance in my games. I love romancing NPCs and PCs. I just love that experience. And when you have a queer GM, they love to throw NPCs at you, I feel. I do as a queer GM. So I'm just, I want to like give you all the chances to get all that flirting in you want. Yeah, <laughs> especially what's funny is, um, so my wife and I, we are both um, asexual, but mm -hmm. my wife is demi-romantic while I'm, uh, I don't know. Um, but when it, yeah. com when it comes to like fictional characters, I thirst and crush hard, far harder than I do on like actual people. Um, oh so, <laughs> so Nessa, she ran a, a homebrew Transformers campaign and we were playing like Autobot scientists, right? And, mm -hmm. or Autobot soldiers. And my character crushed on like four of her NPCs and she like she wouldn't realize that my character was crushing on her NPCs <laughs> and then she's like again again I'm like I'm sorry I don't I don't know what he's doing <laughs> I'm so lucky in that uh, I run off the table along with my best friend Summer and we're mostly uh, there are some circumstances where, where we're not in games like we have an all uh Bimpot game right now, which we're very proud of. We we want to be a place where people of uh, any uh, skin color can come and you know feel comfortable. Which yeah. is one thing we're working on is diversity, because this is such a white community and it's just yeah it's yeah over over over. Ugh, it's I'm just I'm tired of it. Yeah, <laughs> but um, uh, my, my like I was saying, we're in like most of the games together and um some off stream games. And we, we go as far as to plan our romances before campaign. We're like, I'm going to bring in this character for you specifically. You know, we, we've all, we have a scum and villainy game coming up in February that I'm GMing. Ooh. And uh, I, we already have a, a pairing made. Like we're going, we're going to go straight into this and this is what we're going to do. <laughs> I'm God. very lucky in that regard. <laughs> Wait, it tickles me that you bring that up because um, my best friend of like seven years, uh, which is currently my roommate, um, I, we have played side by side in games for like three different campaigns and also multiple one shots. And our characters have always ended up like us with having like a queer platonic thing, right? Mm -hmm. And when we had like our cleric and druid, queer platonic, our artificer and barbarian, queer platonic, like all of them. And then, so when we started our next one with their like death cleric and my bard, my drow bard, I was like, no, they are gonna smooch, gosh darn it. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get those smooches. We have like this like six and a half foot tabaxi cleric and this little five foot drow bard. And I'm I like, they that. are gonna smooch. <laughs> so, I love it. Just, it's so good. Um, so, and you, you did touch on another thing which I have seen talked about, especially in like the critical role scene, but also like D&D TikTok and stuff, stuff like that is it is definitely, while it is a very kind of queer heavy area, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the big names, like the games that we watch and listen to and just the community overall is very white bread. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, white, very straight. Yeah. Depending on where you watch, you can find queers, but mm -hmm. it, it, 
depends where you look. Why, I think that's why the small scale TTRPG scene, streaming scene, is so important to get involved in. If you want that sort of, not you don't even have to be a, a streamer. You don't have to come on our shows. You don't have, but like just to feel that community and feel that your stories are being told too. Um, that's why I think that's so important because you have critical role in the adventure zone and maybe friends at the table, but friends at the table is very queer orientated and they do have a lot of diversity, which is yes. very great. I only listened to one arc of queer, uh, friends at the table, but so I'm not that well-versed in it, but, um, you see a show like critical role or listen to a podcast, like the adventure zone. And while I believe that they are allies and they are, you know, that they're, they are doing their best. It is it's still hard to feel accepted and feel like your stories are being told because even if they play a queer character, it's still a queer character played by a straight person. Yeah. And they still don't understand what you go through every day. Even if that character goes through hardships, you don't understand fully. So I think yeah. that's why I'm very lucky that in, at least in the streaming scene I'm in, the majority of people are queer. They are very open with their queerness um, and they tell queer, queer stories which is something that I think we need to see more of. Yeah. Queer stories told by queer people. Yes, yes. Cause like, I will be the first to say that Taco from TV was like a life-changing experience for me. <laughs> like So great. And I, and I fully say Justin handled that yeah. amazing. I think Justin was great at doing that, but Justin's still a straight cis man. Exactly. And, and, and but it, he can be as big of an ally as he is but he doesn't know the experience and Justin's really open about that yeah. always always is very open about you know I don't know the experiences you went through I don't want to tell your stories without your permission and without, without you signing off of, on it and that's why I loved I loved Taco I think that that Taco growing and then having Luke come in was so great Griffin was so respectful with that experience nothing sur nothing surrounded the fact that Luke was trans like there was no there was no hardship because she was trans. Yeah. We get that enough in the real world. We don't need that in our escapism. Exactly. And like, I, I love the McElroys so much, uh, yeah. all, all their various projects. But as you said, they are straight people. And uh, obviously I feel obligated to say that there is clearly nothing wrong with that, but- <laughs> It's okay if you're a straight. <laughs> we, we support you anyway. We support your choices. <laughs> but uh, it's just one of those things where you, the amount of times that you see people, how do I want to word this? We so often see people telling our stories for us. Yeah. And even if it's done well, we still want to see more of us sharing our stories exactly um it can be done so well and handled with such careful hands i i do not deny that at all like i think that i i'm not saying that there shouldn't be queer stories told but there is so much there's no representation for queer people in media basically it's getting better i think every year it gets better you know but it, it's such a slow process that it shouldn't be this slow yeah so i am such a big proponent of queer people telling their queer stories and I'm, I, how can I fault Critical Role or The Adventure Zone for getting big? They're great shows. They are, yeah. they do have representation. They're, they're great. They're great to their listeners and their watchers. Like, I don't want to fault them for being the big thing. But I also think that people, that there should be more like, I, I love the fact that like Critical Role recently did a, a Monster Hearts 
mm -hmm. uh, one shot because it's made by a queer designer. Oh, it, it, and it is actually like Monster Hearts, if you've ever played it. Um, I played and ran it a lot. And it is about, it is a facsimile of the queer experience about you know dealing with this monster inside of you that everyone calls a monster but coming out and getting a hold of it and getting control of it like it is it is a it's a wonderful coming out story monster hearts and the i am on the side that i don't think matt mercer should have gm'd it yeah because matt mercer is a cis straight man yeah and it should have been a way to uphold more queer voices in the community yeah I, I'm on that side. That's a controversial, controversial hot take. Sorry. No. <laughs> don't want to make your podcast spicy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's, I think that there should be times when uh, people in the spotlight step away and uphold other marginalized communities. And you don't see that a lot by big shows. Um, it's like I said, it's getting better. But I just, I completely agree. Like we want we want our stories told by our, by our people. Right. And it's, you know, not, it, it's something that we see a lot in, you mentioned it with the, the smaller Twitch streaming community and the smaller tabletop communities. You know, we see it a lot with indie audio dramas are basically queer culture. Like the yeah. amount of queer people making these small little indie audio dramas or whatever rampant. And it's, beautiful but they they keep being the smaller names yeah and it's kind of one of those things where you have to ask is it analytics is it numbers is it culture and yeah. I completely I completely understand that and I know like I constantly see um uh I have I'm friends with a lot of voiceover artists yeah that's RP that's also where a lot of people from the TTRPG scene are they, they do voiceover work yeah <laughs> uh, um but um I'll constantly see listings for like <clears throat> specifically non-binary voices uh people of color that sort of thing and I think that's great but it's just it's such small scale that I wish it was a bigger scale I wish yeah. there was a way to uplift our voices more that's why <clears throat> off the table we wanted to do the all bimpok show and um we uh we brought in a wonderful cast and, and it is a safe space for these people to tell their story um it, it's not overcome by white voices that are constantly talking over them and they'll being the ones listened to because for some reason people only listen when a white voice says this issue i mean I yeah don't, but we brought that in because we wanted to show that there are more stories to tell than just this generalized stereotypical white story. Yeah. And it's, I think it's a really good thing that you've done this and then like kind of just taking your hands off of it. Like you, you, yeah. you're setting it up and then you're stepping back. We have the, the only reason that um, my other uh, co-owner of off the table uh, summer is even in the calls because she runs production. She, she does the, the production for Twitch, the, the overlays and the zoom meetings like that. But we stay out of it like we that is their that is their community that's their space and it is the burned bunch it's a monster of the week game um on our network it is literally one of the best shows ever and it just it it is so wild that bimpok people aren't getting the same casting opportunities and and the same um same uh outreach as white people are because their stories matter just as much as ours do yeah. 
And it's the same thing with queer people. Like we just don't have that outreach and our stories are just as important. Yeah. And it's like we it's kind of one of those years that we're also sitting in that situation. This this interview is being recorded in December. So like holiday movies are the big thing right now on Netflix. And we were given so many. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I keep hearing reviews about it. And it's like, oh, well, this this person who was the straight actor playing the queer character obviously didn't do well. And it's like, yeah, hmm, come on. I just want a lesbian romance. I come on. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. But uh kind of rounding back to tabletop, uh, to we've we've hidden the spiciness. Uh but now <laughs> I had to bring one hot take. <laughs> well, I, I I feel like if we're gonna be sitting on a podcast called The Queer Thesperians, there's gonna be hot takes and I <laughs> I welcome them, uh, especially because I, I do agree with you. Uh, but I do want to get kind of wrapped back around to the fun of tabletop. Yeah. Do, do you have any personal favorite, like, like some people prefer D&D, some people prefer Vampire the Masquerade, some people prefer masks. Like, do you have any particular favorite or favorites? I am a big Powered by the Apocalypse person. I okay. can play and enjoy almost any Powered by the Apocalypse system. So Monster Hearts, Monster of the Week, Masks, um, Urban Shadows. Love that system. It's so simple. Uh, 2d6 plus your stats. And to me, it's very, on the GM side, I'm a, I'm a professional GM for Magpie Games, which is the makers of Urban Shadows, Masks. Um, root the RPG, other other RPGs, and um, it's such an easy experience as a GM because you you don't roll for one. I don't have to touch a single dice as a as a powered by the apocalypse uh, GM, which is great. And you make moves based on what they roll. So if they if the player rolls a, a success like a ten or a ten plus a successful hit, uh, something great happens. A six, a seven to nine, something mediocre happens, or there's a consequence. And then under a six, it's a fail. But in Power by the Apocalypse, you fail forward, which is something that I feel is really lacking from D and D, because it sucks in D and D to have like a plus nine stat and fail it, fail your roll, not hit your DC. And get nothing from it. You just failed. Yeah. But in Powered by the Apocalypse, you either gain experience uh, to help you get better. You gain an experience point, or you still learn something. You still, even if it's like it costs a point of harm or something, you're still going to get valuable information. Mm. And Powered by the Apocalypse is just such a great system for that. You don't feel let down as a player. And I feel like as a GM, you, you're not. I am, I'm such a people pleaser that I want yeah. all my players to have fun no matter what, you know? And I feel like I can give them that fun with Powered by the Apocalypse systems. So I can play almost any Powered by the Apocalypse game and be completely happy. Yeah, I, I only, I've only played Masks once and it was very fun. It was, it was, the group was a bit bigger than I normally like playing with. So maybe mm -hmm. that's why I got like a little, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I, you mentioned being a people pleaser of a DM and I feel that I'm like the person that after a one shot ends I'm just like so did you did you, you guys like did you have <laughs> fun I see I see one of my players like texting on their phone and I text them and go are you bored like <laughs> yeah I I am such a I, I'm like that I am the epitome and I say this to myself I'm a lazy GM I am very rules light and everything I GM yeah because I have 
I don't want to say I hate rules. I think rules are good structure, but I think most rules could be tossed aside very easily. <laughs> so I'm the kind of GM that like in a game like Mass, if a character says, if a player says, I want to do this spectacular thing, I'm like, like, yeah, if you give, if you, if it is within your possibility and your realm of possibility that you can do this as a GM, I'm going to say yes. I'm not one of those sticklers. No, you can't do that GMs. Cause I think saying yes and which is yeah. one of the rules of improv, yes, yep. and leads to so many bigger things than saying, no, you can't do that. Yeah. I mean, what if they do it and you make them roll and they fail? That's some catastrophic event that happens that leads to the next story beat. Let yeah. them roll and if they fail, they fail. Just don't, I, I hate saying no. I'm not, the, unless they're saying like, I want to kill this person outright and it's a game that doesn't involve killing like mass or something like that. I'm not going to say no. Right. I want you to have fun and have a good time and explore your creativity. Because to me, that's what D&D is about. Or that's what tabletop RPG is yeah. about. I came from RPing on Gaia. God, that just takes me back. And I think that's why I really gravitated to RPGs so easily because I love to tell stories. Yeah. Like I got into, I got into the whole performance scene um, heavily because I was actually role-playing on Tumblr. Um, I did. done that. <laughs> Yeah, I had a, a Welcome to Night Vale OC. I cosplayed Cecil Palmer. Like I did all I that. that. And it it does really kind of lean you towards telling stories, but also they are very interactive stories because it's like this, you They're are- constantly changing. Yeah. And that is one of the beauties of tabletop is, and also I love in our household, we call it the rule of cool. Yeah. Uh, we follow the, the rule of cool. If you, if you can, exp if it makes sense, and we're going to have fun with it, then we're going to roll with it, literally yeah. and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's why, like, even if you fail, at least I just, I really believe in if, even if the player fails, not making it feel like they're a failure for failing. Does that make sense? Like you, you want them yes. to still feel that they are successful. It's just, you can't help how those dice roll sometimes. You can I had have. an Urban Shadows game last night and some of us were rolling hot, hot, hot. And some of us were failing every single roll. So yeah. it happens. But when those, I my best friend is the GM for the Urban Shadows game, but um, she's very, very magnificent in the way that she handles failures. Like one of the, uh, PCs rolled to escape they failed the role well they still escaped but they had their demon patron waiting for them on a phone call saying hey you messed up like they still got what they wanted but there is a consequence for missing that role and I think that's that is one thing that I don't play a lot of D&D &D anymore but I think that's one thing that D&D &D lacks is but it with a good GM can be made up for yeah, like I, I've always, I think I've been a little spoiled with my wife as a DM and how I DM is that we have the like the player's handbook or the dungeon master's guide or whatever we have those out literally the just book I ever bought the dungeon master's guide never used it once <laughs> we we have it to get ideas we use it mm -hmm. as like a, a reference and also it's like oh I need monsters with stats uh uh, uh yeah yeah that. yeah okay that looks good but the amount of times that we're more referencing notebooks and just like mm -hmm. especially with me as an improv actor that's what I do I'm just like that sounds about right yeah, let's let's go with that. I'm the worst at taking notes, even as a GM. So when my players say, oh yeah, this happened last time, I'm just like, yep, sure did, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have the worst memory. It, it, I, I always say that as just, 
I, I'm, I have, I've never taken notes in my life. I'm not starting now. Yes. <laughs> not doing it now. I, I've kind of teased uh, Nessa, my wife, because usually whenever we do, we start an episode, a, a session of our one of our new uh, campaign. She's like, so who wants to do a recap? And like, she'll ask us to do the recap. I did that when I GM'd Monster of the Week. I would never do a recap. I'd be like, I will give you a plus one forward if you do a recap for me. And that was their gift for doing, my players for doing recaps. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm so glad. Oh, that, <laughs> like knowing that these things are done just- Universally, yes. yes. <laughs> we are not the only ones. <laughs> like, oh. So- with you doing these uh, streams as a uh, one thing that I do wish to touch on, which is a little less fun, um, is entering the scene as a queer player, especially because as as someone who first got into D and D presenting as a woman, it was not an easy track to get into D and D when people still perceived me as a woman, uh, and. I, since I no longer present as female, I want to give the floor to you as someone who still does. It's interesting for me. I have been very, very, very lucky in that when I came onto the RPG scene, I, I found people quick that were very, that weren't those old grognard women can't play games kind of people. Mm -hmm. um, I found a community of people who respected my opinions as a GM, even as like, because when I first joined the community, I had only GM'd a couple of games. I was that GM that said, oh, we, we want to play D&D. &D. We don't have a GM. I said, oh, I'll do it. You know, I, yeah. that was how I got into to GMing things. And um, I'm very lucky in that I've had a community and, and a place where my opinions are valued. That's not to say that that happens all the time. I have been in games where I've been, backseated GM by a man. I've been talked over by men. Um, on Twitter, especially like any opinions I post, if that one cis straight white guy gets a hold of it, you are screwed because that's gonna be all that they, you know, this is a woman. She doesn't know what she's talking about, blah, blah. And I do think that just like with the telling queer stories or, or just any marginalized story, it's getting better. Yeah. But I do acknowledge that I'm very spoiled in the fact that I have a great community that respects my opinion, that doesn't look down on me because I'm a woman. Um, but I've definitely been in games. Like I, I do a lot of people ask me to be in their one shots for charity streams, that sort of thing, or just to come on and guest on their games. Um, I have had really weird experiences, but I know there are some horror stories out there of like people forcing their NPCs onto female PCs, that sort of thing. And it is, it's not good. And I'm just, I like to acknowledge that I'm very lucky and that's yeah. never happened to me. I, I don't think I would know what to do if I went into a game where it was that bad. I, I would just freeze up because I'm so used to not having that experience. But I do know that it's still hard for women to be taken serious, seriously as GMs. And that's why I'm glad I work with uh, Magpie. They have a um, very big, uh, their GMs they have, it's a very big uh, selection of female, male, and non-binary people uh, who GM games professionally. So we're getting our bag and plus having fun, you know, giving these, doing these games for people. And Magpie is very supportive of their GMs in a way that if you have a problem player that tries to speak over you 
or you know tries to control the game or doesn't respect you as a GM if you can't handle it yourself magpie has this like a no no questions asked system you know they're out they don't get their money back they're out <laughs> because their GMs their employees are very important to them and I think that's how a lot of things should be there shouldn't be any questions asked if you are if you can't sit at a table with a woman and respect her opinion and her especially if she's the GM expect respect her rulings that game's not for you you probably don't need to be at any table <laughs> yeah now uh, and I realized that we've, we've talked about magpie I went into this interview knowing about magpie but just in case any of our listeners don't know about magpie maybe it's a good idea for you to perhaps yeah. tell us a bit about it uh magpie is a company that make publishes games they've published urban shadows they just had a very successful kickstarter for urban shadows urban shadows second edition uh they do the game masks uh they have a um passion de la pasiones which is a telenova type pbta game which is very fun uh they are they also do my favorite one of my favorite games top three of all times bluebeard's bride which is a game of feminine horror um mm. it is a one-shot system that uh it's pbta and you are telling the story of bluebeard's bride you're exploring these rooms with keys that he gave you and you're seeing the horrors and deciding if he is if you're going to be loyal or disloyal to him and go into his final room it is a very very hard game to play it is very deep it's very philosophical and it's very violent and triggering and magpie uh sponsors this game and, and is very very uh, a very big proponent of safety systems safety tools in their games and that's why i love them they're it's such a great community to be community to be, to be a part of and they have games all through the months uh with different gms that you pay it's their curated play program and um, you can play one shots, two shots. There are some campaigns that go on from like uh, four to six sessions. It just, it varies by the GM. Um, but it is a, everyone that I know who has been a part of it, played a game in it, has had a very fulfilling experience. And it's, it's one of the only uh, curated place uh, programs that I know of. Like I wish other publishers did this for their games. Because I would like Evil Hat. I love Monster of the Week. I would run Monster of the Week games all the time if I could do Evil Hat. <laughs> um, but um, it's a very cool system to be a part of. And like, if you ever just are itching to play a fun game, hit up the Magpie Curated Play Program right there. That you, there's games all the time listed with amazing GMs. And I will uh, make sure to put that link in the description. Uh, so that anyone who's listening to this can go through our description and find you guys because that, I mean, especially now more than ever with everyone staying home all the time, ideally, yeah. ideally please stay home. <laughs> every, if, if you can, please stay home. Um, but like, ideally with everyone staying home all the time, now is a really good time to pick up getting into tabletops. It really is. Like we've, there we've, are so many systems out there too that if D&D seems overwhelming for you because there's like four, four $30 books that you feel like you have to buy, just go through Itch.io. There are so many fun games on Itch.io that are made. There are two player games, one player journaling games, um, just great games you can find on Itch.io. And they do a lot of these independent creators do bundles with other creators all the time. So you can get great bundles. I don't know if uh, you knew, if you remember this or not, but 
there was the bundle for um uh for Black Lives Matter a couple of uh, months ago. Oh, uh, wasn't there racial like- justice and equality? Yep. That came with not only video games, but it came with a lot of tabletop RPG games. I found one of my favorites through there that I ran recently on a charity stream called Black Mass. It's a game where you play two girls at the same time. You can you do two personas of them, and it's about the Salem witch trials. Huh. It's, it is so it's so much fun. It's easy game. You use tarot cards for your moves, like very interesting system, and. You can just find that by going through itch.io and so many of these games are pay what you want so please if you get a game tip tip yes, the creator because yes, yes. they're small indie companies there's like solo creators yeah but you can find so much great stuff on itch.io that you don't have to shell out money all you have, all it takes is your time and so many of us have so much time on our hands right now yeah and supporting artists is always important um but considering that there's a lot of us entertainers and performers who used to make our living by going out and yep. performing for groups of 355 plus people, and now we cannot do that. Uh, you know, there are lots of ways you can support these artists by going through like itch.io or even through Twitch. Just watching yeah. Twitch streams can help support these artists. A lot of Twitch streams, we don't off the table because we think it's a little a little too invasive but that's just us we don't judge anyone that doesn't that does this a lot of uh, a lot of ttrpg streams offer donation incentives that help you affect and change the game like give a player a reroll or give a player some help or something like that and a lot of these people are just trying to make a living and yeah. it, you don't have to donate you don't have to sub but your view numbers help and that's entertainment for you yeah which is good for the mental health and good for the soul yes Yes, I agree. Also, uh, I have made the joke before that that tabletop is cheaper than therapy. It uh, really is. Not by much, depending what system you play, because like D&D, while I, I do love D&D, I, I hardly ever actually follow the rules, but I do love D&D. Uh, those books are like, what, 30, 30 40, $40 each. Vampire yeah. the Masquerade books are like 50 bucks, but yeah. you buy it once and then they last. That's so long term, cheaper than therapy. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I think that I... I it's such a, I don't, I'm not the type of person that dumps all of my ex- triggering experiences on the table, but there have right. been times when I've had something on my mind and I've worked it out through my character in the game. Exactly. And it, it's really helped me. Um, and then I, I've had characters that I, that I had a character in an Urban Shadows game named Dell. She was an Oracle and I had so much bleed from her. Um, if you don't know what bleed is, it's when you leave a game and your feelings from the game bleed over into your real life. They make you sad or angry or, um, make you feel a way that you can't leave it at the table. But I had so much bleed from her, um, because I really made her very empathetic and very, um, emotional about the people around her. And if you've ever played Urban Shadows, Urban Shadows is a political game, a political, uh, city type game where everyone is there for a number one, protecting themselves. You will just throw people under the bus all the time. And I could not get into that mindset with that character because me as myself, I'm a very empathetic person. I care more about other people than I do my own issues. You know, that's how I am. 
And I started having serious bleed from that character. So I had to retire her. I had to let her go with the promise from my GM that she would not be hurt in this city um, because the city still runs, you know, through games, the city right. still turning. And I dealt with a lot of internal issues that I was having at the time through Dell. And that's why I got so much bleed and I had to let that character go. Yeah. Like I, I, it's, I, I've said this before in different interviews when we talk about actors playing characters where anytime you play a character, there's a high chance that you are going to put aspects of yourself into the character, especially mm-hmm. in things like immersive entertainment, where you have to become the person and, and interact with strangers in character, you're going yeah. to put yourself in that character. So it's a natural, like, I'm not actually some shady detective in the 1930s attending a Hollywood gala where a man is demanding everyone there kill him. Like, that's not a thing I will ever experience. Yeah. But I have played that role a lot of times. So I put myself into him. And that often happens with tabletop RPG characters, oh, whether you mean agree. to or not whether you mean to because or not. I, I think that you get very close to your tabletop RPG characters. Like I get close to even one-shot characters. I will mm-hmm. make a whole backstory for my one-shot character. Um, I think that you play a game with people and you have these experiences at the table and it's very hard not to take them personally. And it, it is, you you do need to leave the table and leave the stories at the table. I, I, I think that and not bring it into your real life. But that's easier said than done with some characters. Yeah. Because you, you begin to care about them. You begin to embody them. You're playing this character and playing their life out. And it can very well make you sad in real life, make you angry in real life. And I mean, I get so protective of my characters. Um, we, me and my... Uh, uh, me and my best friend had a pairing. Uh, it's in the you no know, listeners can't see this, but it's the art behind me. Yeah. Um, of uh, it was in our burning wheel game, and we had people. They were jokingly making jokes about them because we shipped them together, of course, because we we made it that way. Yeah. But they would jokingly like say they meant it well, but like bad things about us always shipping our characters together being like, oh, this is another Katie and Summer thing, blah, blah, blah. And it really began to get to me because I yeah. cared about these characters. I didn't want people making fun of them because they're they're my babies. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so it, it does, you really do begin to embody. And I, it happens so much in tabletop, I think because it's such a close, it, it's a very close and immersive experience in tabletop games. And it can also be very intimate. Oh, it's, it's a- very intimate, yeah. It's especially depending, like if you if you're playing these games that have like built in tensions that even if they aren't directly rep- like representing your real experiences, but like you can equate it to like the queer experience or whatever, and you 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 kind of get your characters into this, you're going to be going through these journeys with these other people as their characters, and it's yeah. it is so raw and intimate. It really is. It is, it's such a great experience. So it's an experience that like I would not trade for the world because I, I have, I, when I got into TTRPG, I was in a very bad place in my life. 
very low, very, you know, not knowing what my life was going to hold for me. And I say it all the time that they saved my life because it brought me into a community with people that I could relate to who appreciated me. And, um, it gave me this, this, uh, way to, to let my feelings out. And when you're doing that and you're probably playing with people who are doing the same exact thing, um, it's going to be personal. It's going to be quiet, tense, intimate moments. Even I think in the funnest, funniest games, you can have those moments and they really do affect you. Yeah. Like uh, when the three of us uh, ran the Transformers uh, campaign that I told you about briefly earlier, there was a time where my, again, my roommate and I have been best friends for like seven years our characters were just starting to get to know each other. And like my character was very secretive, was like ex-Decepticon, had faked his death and this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And he was finally opening up about it. And like that moment, even though Cecil and I have been friends for like seven years, we in our, it, it felt like we were near strangers, just like communicating these, this moments. And like, we both mm -hmm. cried. We both cried. Like, yeah. you know, our- <laughs> Cried so many times at the table. I can't even count it anymore. But it's also one of those things where I, I don't know, as, a, as someone, when I GM, if one of my players cries, it's like, as long as it's not like I've overwhelmed them, I, mm -hmm. if it's like a happy good tears, a kid cry, happy tears, or the kind of tears where they're crying like sadly, but at the same time are like, oh screw you, and it's like it's still in good fun. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like yes, because <laughs> you get that real raw emotional response. Yeah. So I do always like to ask uh, fellow tabletop uh, gamers and whatever any favorite stories that you might have that you would like to share? One of my favorite stories, um, the second long-term campaign I was in was a Burning Wheel game. Uh, Burning Wheel is a system by Luke Crane. Um, it is very crunchy. It is not for people who, who don't like, like it is more crunchy than Pathfinder in my opinion, um, but in a good way. It really yeah. gives you the opportunity to uh, make diverse characters but one of my favorite stories was that whole campaign honestly um my best friend and I made characters uh I played a character named Freya and she played a character named Rowan and we started out that, that these characters were best friends and grew up together Rowan had a wife and I was like yeah she just feels to him like a brother once one session in I went oh no she's in love with him like it completely changed and it it all led up to um they ended up sleeping together yeah i got pregnant and rowan died at the hands of one of our other party members uh, uh it was it was one of those sessions that we had to take a break and go off air for a moment because i was losing it <laughs> i was uh. like it was like triggering a panic attack but one of my favorite stories was just them realizing their love for each other because it was very organic it happened it wasn't forced um right. it, it was just me and my best friend playing these best friends that fell in love and it was so great it was so much fun to do and our gm gave us like free reign to do what we wanted to do and um it caused so much tension because at the end of our end of our uh series the big series finale when we ended the game Rowan came back from the dead and she got some closure for him being killed and and 
he got to tell her how excited he was that she was having this child. It was very, it was, it was a big moment. Um, but that's probably one of my favorite, favorite experiences that I've ever had in RPG because I felt comfortable. I felt supported and it was just, it was sweet. It was, even though that, even though he died, right? <laughs> it was still such a good story to tell. Like it had so many ups and downs. We never knew what was going to happen. We, I always joke that I, when we started the game, we did our session zero and everything. We thought it was going to be like a Game of Thrones, politically intriguing, talky type of game. So I made a character that had like high seduction, high charisma or persuasion. Didn't use those traits once because like by session three, we were fighting a demon. Yeah. I, like, I didn't make a fighting character. Yeah. <laughs> do that. I was the odd one out the whole time. <laughs> uh yeah i i've run i've been the 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 gm for games where like one person was like oh i'm gonna be the the pacifist bard i'm like you gotta kill a god i'm sorry that's the only way out of this dimension is i i so she she found a way around it you know but like she she just made herself healer and like buffs and everything so it worked Mm -hmm. out but it's like ah I'm I should have warned you uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have, and that's another thing too you get to either be creative or see other people find creative ways to solve it of how do I use these numbers mm-hmm. to survive this yeah. <laughs> like, so I completely it, it, it's so much fun when you um are t- told to make a role and you have like a, a negative in that stat and you're like oh this is gonna be interesting <laughs> Are you sure it was dexterity and not it can't, str- strength? It can't be athletics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you sure it's dex? It can't be athletics. You- <laughs> I've had that experience in D and D many times. <laughs> yeah. Or like, uh, sorry, one of my favorite uh, stories, and it just got brought up by uh, Rolling Stats. Doesn't really have anything to do specifically with this, but in that Transformers thing. Uh, so since my character was a former Decepticon, which mm-hmm. was o- only known by our GM, actually the other player didn't know. I actually kept it a secret from the other player, oh, man. Um, which was hard because again we're roommates. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I made his <laughs> a little bit on the nose, but his deception really high because he had to fake his death and was like living mm-hmm. a new life. And I was like, well, his deception's got to be high. And so one time, uh, because he was an artificer and because it was robots, we like tweaked everything where it's like not really, you know, it's all of its robotics, all of it. Um, And so it was all sciencey where he, instead of like an alchemy machine, he had a high grade processor so he could make booze basically he could just take mm-hmm. things and just make booze and one time they they interacted with this really traumatized npc and the character hitchwire was like uh 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 here here have some high grade chill breathe and uh nessa was like you know did you make any high grade and i pulled out a d20 it's like i'm rolling deception I nat 20 and tricked a guy into thinking he drank booze when he didn't actually, it wasn't actually. That's so booze. good. <laughs> it was like a nat 20 plus like a plus nine, right? And it was like, he he thinks he's drunk. <laughs> like, That's good. Just, I love just, that. The way the dice roll, but also opposite. You can have like a badass rogue and roll a two for stealth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, you having a bad day there, bud? Having a bad day. Sometimes you mess up. <laughs> I, yeah, also- like I, I play, I'm in a game of uh, Glitter Hearts, which is a magical girl anime uh, type game. 
so much fun. Um, and I'm playing a defender type character, a character that runs into battle and wants to defend everyone and fight things. And I have a minus one in my physical stat. <laughs> just like, well, I don't, I don't succeed a lot, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> the, the heart's there. It really is. And I, I took moves that buffed it. Like I, even if I fail a roll, I can still pick something from the, um, the options. I took a move like that, but I was like, I fail it more often than I succeed, but I'm trying. <laughs> I'm do she's doing her best. Yeah, she really is. <laughs> and one of the things too, is I've learned this with people who get into things like gambling, acting, D&D, &D, tabletop, whatever, where if so much of it, or baseball, so superstitious mm. because there is so much outside forces that will play and also just sheer luck that like, I, I know a lot of tabletop players with dice who have like, papers with like sigils written on it that are like for good roles and they like oh my goodness they like replace the sigils every few weeks and it's just I I'm very very big um on dice jail yes if that dice rolls a certain amount of of bad rolls it is going in dice jail I'm not touching it again don't want it <laughs> that's why you that's why you buy like that's why you buy 20 sets of dice yeah, not that's, that's why I have a huge three huge bags sitting behind me just full of dice not <laughs> because bad yeah not, not because you have a problem or anything no I don't have a problem no. I don't know what you're talking about I don't have an addictive personality <laughs> no it's not my ADHD hyper fixating on the click clacks no no, no couldn't be <laughs> especially because oh I saw I, I might cut this out I don't know I saw this promoted post on Instagram that like showed off these new dice that this company was selling and it was like four different pictures and I scrolled to the last one and the last one literally looked like they took those old Easter M&Ms and made them into D20s like the pastel colors oh. and the pretty numbers and all I could think is I want to eat them because they look like candy. The forbidden crunch. <laughs> the forbidden crunch. <laughs> Yes, I, I sent it to three of my friends. What all it said was, I want to eat them. Two of them were like, oh, I feel that. And the other one was like, why? Why? I'm like, because they look like candy. I bought a friend. She wanted a pair of dice uh, that had sprinkles in them. And I got a set uh, custom made for her. And they looked just like candy. Like, just because, I mean, it had sprinkles inside of them and the resin but i mean they just so many dice i just want to just, just want to put it in my mouth because <laughs> don't look, put dice in your mouth no folks. no don't don't do it don't. that is such a choking hazard that is a bad that, idea. and it's dirty it touches yes. your hands all the time it's oh just don't do it and i don't know if anyone ever has said this um a couple of years ago i shared dice with friends and all of us got like a plague-like illness wash your dice yes you don't have to do it all the time, but like every couple of months, put them in a colander, just wash your dice. It really helps. <laughs> helps keep things, especially if you're sharing dice at the table. Yep. And hey, if you're one of those people that like is very superstitious with how they treat their dice, make it like a whole cleansing thing where you're yeah. getting rid of the bad juju for getting good rolls, you exactly. know. Exactly. I, I am a big proponent of washing your dice now. <laughs> Honestly, I, I feel like I'm going to join you on that soapbox because that that's not talked something that's not talked about enough washing your dice. It really isn't. No one mentions that. <laughs> 
we it took us forever to figure out how all of us got sick because we didn't share any drinks we didn't do anything and then someone just said didn't you all use the same dice when you played and we just like a, a mo- five minute just blank silence and us going oh man <laughs> it hit us that's how we all got sick <laughs> uh if nothing else that's a funny story yeah like, it really is now that we're in the time of covid i'd say don't risk it for a funny story but just no like, don't <laughs> it no. was just a b- really bad really bad pneumonia or flu at the time like this was back in 2017 or 18 right um and it, it's always remembered because me and the other people like it was three of us that played games together regularly on stream we were streaming with barely with any voices like we had to cancel a lot of streams because we couldn't talk we oh. got that sick and it was all because of die sharing <laughs> So we all touched those dice. Oh no. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's so funny. It really, no, it is funny. It's hilarious that we didn't put two and two together either. Cause I was just like, why did I get, cause I didn't drink after you. I mean, I don't think you can get this sick from just being in the same room as me. Nope. It was the dice. <laughs> those tricksy dice. They, they, they got their revenge. <laughs> yeah. This is for putting us in dice jail. Yep uh so before we start wrapping up because we're getting towards the end this has been a lot of fun i always know it's a good interview and my face hurts uh a lot of fun uh so one of the things i always ask uh my guests is so if you were to meet someone who was especially someone who's queer looking to get into the tabletop community but has no idea where to start which i feel like is very common uh what sort of advice would you give? I would say, don't be afraid. It can seem very overwhelming. Um, it can seem very scary and, and even elitist and gate, gatekeepery at times, but I promise you, you will find your people. I can guarantee you that. And I'm, I will plug my own thing off the table. We are off underscore the table on Twitch and Twitter. Um, we are a very opening community. Um, we, we support our people who come, who come to us. We are very lurker friendly in our discord. Like you can join and just never post. Like we get it. Discord can be overwhelming. I promise that you're going to find your people. Don't give up. Um, don't let the bad experiences outshine the good experiences, which I know is easier said than done because sometimes those bad experiences can be so triggering that you don't want to touch a game ever again. Yeah. But there are more good people in the community than there are bad. I, I, I can promise you that. Um, there are people who are fighting for marginalized uh, people to have their voices heard and they do it every day without pay, without acknowledgement, you know, that they deserve. And if you're one of those, I promise you that you're going to feel accepted somewhere. Um, I don't want to lie and say it's an easy task or that I didn't get lucky by finding off the table right when it started. Like I was an off the table from the very beginning. Um, I was very lucky that I found a community that accepted and, and, and was very open about things and had a, a very welcoming feel. I promise you that you can find it. There is something here for everyone. And I'm very proud of the community that they're getting this, this very strong feeling that we don't accept, we don't accept people that don't accept our brothers and sisters in queerness or any kind of identity. Um, 
they're slowly but surely pushing out these old old ideals that women aren't allowed at the table or that um you know certain stories shouldn't be told it's taking a lot but it is slowly happening and I think that the more that it happens the more welcome someone who is overwhelmed or has never you know interacted with tabletop they're going to see that and that's why I'm so proud of the work that people are doing you know they they want to make this hobby for everyone because it is for everyone it is not just a white cis straight male experience I mean I know that it looks like that but there have always been marginalized identities playing RPGs and the more that we get that broadcast out there in in the open the more people can see their stories being told see people that look like them telling stories that they relate to and they're going to feel more comfortable to come in that's I honestly could not have said it better like just looking for and it's also the communities that seem to be like the ones that appear to be very dominated by cishet white people with very strong and not the best opinions Mm, yeah um it's often often especially with this because they are the loudest but they're not the only ones there um so you have to get around that loud yelling from them but slowly i've noticed we're quieting them up which is it's great it's so great chef's kiss yes all the way (laughs) there there's i think there's always going to be a couple of bad actors in the community people that bad faith actors that want to bring you down because some people are just living miserable lives and they don't get any happiness besides hurting someone's feelings, which is a horrible life to live. And I, I wish I could help them. I wish I could make their life better. But I just, I, I say that it, it's just for every bad apple that you come across, you're, you can find at least five great people in the community that you can relate to. Yeah. And so again, you can look into uh, Off the Table through the link in the description. We'll put it down below if you want to go check out their Twitch or whatever, find friends through that community. Uh, Also, Katie, where can our listeners find you? I am on Twitter at Katie Face. That's K-A-T-Y-F-A-I-S-E. I regularly post about uh, things that I'm doing in the new year. Like I said earlier, um, Off the Table is starting a podcast network. We have two great new podcasts coming in. January and February, we have one. It's a podcast of the game, The Watch, which is about non-binary and female people fighting toxic masculinity. It is a game completely based on that. It is amazing. And uh, yeah, we, it is a full cast of only female and non-binary people, including our GM. And um, it is, it is wonderful. And that's coming in January. It's called Of Black Glass. Uh, it is very heavy, <laughs> but it's so much fun and it's so fulfilling. And then in February, we did a, um, we have a project along with another channel called Salty Sweet Games. Great channel. Highly suggest them uh, if you want a great community to get a hold, to get into. Um, a Fear Itself actual play podcast called Missing Annie Lee. It's about uh, these high schoolers uh, who go miss uh this one high school girl who goes missing it's about her friends dealing with it and it's told in two separate arcs by two separate gms with the same players across the board and it Mm. is very it's done and we're waiting we have a if you are interested in supporting we have a um kofi up 
uh, kofi.com slash off underscore the table that we are trying to get to our stretch goal of um, getting t-shirts and movie posters made for uh, our people who are subscribing to us. And it's, it's really great. I think that it's going to be very spooky and very, very like scary. And, and I know that the parts I played in it were amazing and out of this world. So I think that everyone's going to love it. And you don't, it, it's also a system that's not D&D. Like it's an indie system that you're, you can get some experience from. If you, if you're getting a little overwhelmed by it, cause I think that D&D is such a, it, it, it's such a system that's everywhere. Yeah, like, that's what most people play. So it's a it's a system that you may not see a lot of plays by, and I think that that's that's really fun that you you can explore a new system. That is so cool. I I am so excited about here listening to these podcasts because I, I I have a podcast problem, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so also I need more of that non-binary content because please, pretty please. So I'll be sure to check those out and also put the link to things in the, in the description. I will also be tagging Katie in the promo posts. So if you found this through Instagram or Twitter, you'll be able to just go back and find her through there. And uh, now our turn. You can find the Queer Thesperience on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can follow us there for updates on episodes. We also promote other queer-led projects made by the same team who make the Queer Thesperience. Uh, you can get updates for uh, when we're calling for more people to interview. We've got a pretty full roster up until March, but we're eventually going to need more people to interview. So we will be definitely calling out for that. You can also check out our uh, current audio drama, which is Jar of Rebuke. It is a Midwestern Gothic horror comedy leaning more into the horror. It is a primarily queer cast and crew with primarily queer characters. Uh, I play all words that I love. (laughs) I love all of this. It's been compared to things like Tannis and the Magnus Archives and Welcome to Night Vale. Uh, People you might know from it, uh, Jason LaRock from Dream Daddy is in it. Uh, He played Damien in Dream Daddy. He is two characters in Jar of Rebuke. Uh, I'm the main character in Jar of Rebuke. We also have had guest voices like Conrad Mishuk from the Kako's Industries series. And we've also got some other great queer Weird talent in and it's just so much fun uh come january is going to be our season finale so by the time you're listening to this we'll be in our little in-between series hiatus so it'll be a great time to catch up for season two because it's about to get wild so <laughs> be sure to check that out and if you want to support queer creators uh jar of rebuke is on patreon so if you want to check those out find us on Patreon. You can also support us through Pod Hero. Both Pod Hero and Patreon links will be in the description, as well as my links, as well as Katie's links, all that fun jazz. And remember, all the world's a stage, so give them one heck of a show. This has been your host, Casper, joined by Katie, signing off. Bye-bye. Bye.